This podcast is not intended to be an investigative report, and all opinions stated herein are opinions strictly from the hosts and are not affiliated with any law enforcement entity. This is a true crime podcast and may contain information that may be disturbing to some listeners. Audience discretion is advised. Welcome to Vintage Homicide, a true crime podcast being presented to you by two forensic scientists with a passion for the vintage lifestyle. We are your hosts, Ms. Ruby Wild and Ms. Mayday. We will bring you historic murders with special insight into the era and the forensics involved to look back at what crime solving may have been like. This podcast is benefiting the 501c3 Bombshell Betty's Calendar for Charity, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to raise support and awareness for veterans' charities through community involvement, photography, and pinups. Today, we're going to be talking about the story of Walburga Dolly Osterreich. She was born in 1880 in Germany as Walburga Korschel. She decided to immigrate to America in order to live the American farm life. This is around 1910. She quickly realized that she did not like the American farm life, and she set off to find herself a wealthy husband. So, May, could you please teleport us back to the 1910s in Milwaukee to let us know what Walburga was doing? In 1910, Milwaukee was an interesting place. At that time, they had just had an election, and they had elected a socialist mayor named Emil Seidel. He had just raised the minimum wage and made the eight-hour day standard for all city workers. And at that time, we were in pre-World War I, so World War I was fought between 1914 and 1918. So leading up to World War I, anti-Germanism was building in the city of Milwaukee. And the Osterreichs, being German descent, I'm sure they m- must have felt that sort of anti-Germanism feeling coming from other Milwaukeeans. Many of them had relatives and friends still fighting in Europe. And a lot of them suffered from this anti-Germanism sentiment that was a byproduct of the war. And at that time, too, we were leading up to prohibition. There was a lot of temperance movement leaders like Carrie Nation who said that if there is a place that is hell on earth, it is Milwaukee. (laughs) So um, that was Milwaukee in the 1910s. So this being the case, that is why Walburga decided to set off and get herself a wealthy husband. So she found one in Fred Osterreich, who was born in Illinois in 1877. And by the time Walburga found him, actually, I'm just going to start calling her Dolly. By the time Dolly found Fred, he was a wealthy textile manufacturer. He owned an apron factory in Milwaukee. So with all the sanctions on the workers that May already talked about, this automatically made him a little bit grumpy, and he was a penny pincher, and he worked his seamstresses to the bone. So him being grumpy, he also was a heavy drinker. His heavy drinker allegedly was making Dolly very not sexually satisfied. So one day when uh, Dolly was 33, she decided to contact Fred and have him send one of his workers, specifically the worker Otto Sanhuber, Uh, to come to her house and fix her sewing machine. So a little bit about Otto. At this time, he's 17. He claims he was adopted. His birth name was Otto Weir, and he thinks he was 17 at this time. Uh, However, there's a lot of contradictory reports stating he was born in Germany or New York or Wisconsin, but back then, adoption records are really hard to get your hands on. So when the two met in 1913... 
Uh, Dolly thought it was a great idea to answer the door wearing nothing but uh, her robe and stockings. And as Otto was fixing the machine, she started seducing him. And starting that day, they started becoming secret lovers. Uh, they would meet up in hotels or at Otto's house or at Dolly's house, pretty much anywhere that they thought that they could get away with it. But eventually the neighbors started doing some scuttlebutting and talking about it. And they told Fred, hey, there's this guy coming in and out of your house all the time. So that's when Dolly started saying that Otto was her vagabond half-brother. They still were asking Fred about this vagabond half-brother that he knew nothing about. So this is when Dolly came up with a great idea. She convinced Otto to quit his job and become a full-time writer that secretly lived in her and her husband's attic. She knew that her husband never went into this attic, so he would never be discovered up there. And Otto readily did this for whatever reason, and he lived in the attic at night, and during the day, every now and again, he would come out and help Dolly with house chores and laundry and basically be her sex slave. While he was living in the attic, he spent his days and nights reading and writing, and he started writing pulp fiction magazines, and he started getting them published with the help of Dolly under the pen name Walter Klein. In 1918, uh, Otto had been living in the attic for five years, and you would think that this is a long time for Fred to not realize that he had somebody living in his attic and that they were consuming far more food and everything than a normal person would. Well, Fred kind of thought that he was going crazy because he would start hearing noises when nobody else was supposed to be home. Doors would be opening and closing. Items would be moved. Um, so Fred, thinking that his house may have been haunted, he decided to up and move the factory from Milwaukee to L.A. in 1918. Do you have any facts for us in the 1918s in Los Angeles, May? Sure. So 1918s leading up to the early 1920s in Los Angeles, it was a very prosperous time. At this point in time, Hollywood became a new industry. So all of film and television started um, being created in Los Angeles, which brought a lot of jobs. So LA was pretty prosperous. It was a good place to start a life um, at that time. And fashion um, was still pre-war fashion, so women were still being dressed in very luxurious fabrics with extensive beading. Um, they were wearing flapper styles with uh, fur coats and cloche hats. And it was um, essentially everything that you can recall from like the Great Gatsby. So it was this very prosperous time in Los Angeles, lots of um, drinking because drinking was still legal up until 1919, and um, women were dressing to the high nines at that time. So Dolly was like, yeah, let's move to Los Angeles. This sounds great. I am ready to live my highfalutin lifestyle. Her only stipulation to Fred was, you must find us a house with an attic. Once again, Fred had absolutely no questions about why his wife insisted upon having an attic in their house. So he just went and bought a house with an attic. Specifically, this house was located at 858 North Andrews Boulevard in Silver Lake. Uh, don't even try to Google it. They changed the street name probably to give the tenants a break. And you'll see why as we continue this story. So after they moved into the house in 1918, you would think that Fred's demeanor would improve because he was no longer stressed out or thinking he was crazy while he was at home. However, this is the opposite. He was drinking more. Their fights started escalating. And in 1922, 
Fred and Dolly came home and they started a very vicious argument where allegedly Fred had struck Dolly while Otto hearing all of this comes barreling down these attic stairs. Fred is shocked because there's this human being in the house that he has no clue even existed. And this man is carrying two 25 caliber pistols. Uh, May, you actually have some facts on these 25 caliber pistols because I didn't know what they were. Right. So at that time, um, there was most likely a Colt model 1908, which was known as the Vest Pocket Pistol. It was compact, hammerless, striker-fired, and it was a semi-automatic single-action pistol. So um, this was a popular gun. It was called the Lady Gun at that time, and it was very small so that it could be a um, concealable firearm. Um, it had... Um, a 25 caliber ACP uh, chamber for cartridges, and it was designed by Browning. What does ACP mean? It stands for Automatic Colt Pistol. Okay, so now Fred has this man running at him with two of these pistols that are easily concealable, um, and Otto thinks that he is protecting Dolly's life. So he shoots at Fred and strikes him three times, and Fred dies instantly. So you would think that this is just a normal, straightforward shooting that happens in L.A. Well, these days it does. But back then, okay, everything's fine. However, keep in mind, nobody in L.A. knows that Otto even exists. So Dolly comes up with this plan, and she has Otto lock her in a closet. Then he went back to the attic with uh, Fred's diamond watch to make it look like a robbery. So the police had been summoned to the house because the neighbors had heard the gunshots. So when the police come in, they arrive, they find a husband shot and the wife locked in a closet from a lock on the outside of the closet door. The key's no longer in the door. And like I said, nobody knows that Otto even exists, let alone that he's still in the home. At this point, the officers are very confused. They claim, or they're under the assumption that this is a home invasion robbery that went real bad. But the police know that Dolly's acting kind of shady, so they still think that she might be in on this, but they cannot figure out how. Since she was found locked in the closet, and they know that she couldn't have done that herself, so there was nothing that they can do to stop her from inher inheriting her husband's fortune. So with this fortune, she decides to buy a new house with another nice attic, even though they didn't need the attic anymore because Fred was dead. So they move into this new house, and... Otto still continued to just basically be Dolly's sex slave that didn't exist in the world because nobody knew he was around. So since Otto's living in this attic, everybody thinks that Dolly's this lonely wid widower. So she starts dating. Since the police, once again, they still think that Dolly's in on this somehow, they try to bring her up on charges of her husband's death, like maybe by facilitating it. So this is when Dolly gets her lawyer, her Herman Shapiro. I have no idea if it's any relation to the current Shapiro's. Um, and so since she's dating him, she decides to gift him with Fred's diamond watch that was allegedly stolen during this home invasion robbery. So Herman Shapiro, being her lawyer for this entire case, knows exactly what watch this is. So I, maybe Dolly's losing it at this point. I have no idea. She says that she found the watch in her car and just didn't feel the need to tell the police that she found it. And once again, this was the only thing taken from the house that day, allegedly. So now we're still progressing forward. We're now in 1923, and Dolly gets another lover. 
His name is Roy Klum. She convinces Roy, well, I have this gun, and it happens to be the same caliber as the one that shot my husband a year ago. So because I don't want to raise any questions with the police, can you please get rid of it? She also feeds the same line to one of her neighbors. Well, the neighbor decides to bury his gun that she has given under a rose bush in his backyard. Well, Roy Klum goes one step further and throws his gun into the La Brea tar pits. It was a shallow section, but still the tar pits. After all of this, um, Roy and Dolly break up. Well, Roy is not willing to take all of this standing down, so Roy decides to tell the police, hey, like, she had me throw away this gun that might have been used to kill her husband. So the police go to the tar pits to exactly where he says that the gun is, and they recover the gun covered in tar. Well, after this first gun got found, the neighbor goes, hey, she told me to hide a gun too, and they dug up that gun, and now the police have both the firearms. So this is where we start bringing in like the forensics and the ballistics that may have been possible. Keep in mind, one gun is completely covered in tar, but the other one had only been buried in the ground. Fred had been struck three times, which means that those bullets should have been able to be found as well. So May, do you want to talk about the forensics of ballistics a little? In the 1920s, firearms examination could have consisted of comparing a series of class characteristics. So in this particular case, when the firearms were recovered from the garden, for example, the, that firearm could be used to test fire bullets to determine what the rifling patterns of that firearm could have imparted on any potential bullets. So rifling is... It's like an etching on the internal part of the um, barrel of the gun. It's intended to be either right twist or left twist, and this imparts a spiral pattern in order to make sure that the projectile or the bullet fires straight and far. So at that time, the firearms would have been examined for this specific rifling, which would impart a unique pattern onto the soft metal of the bullets. So these bullets that could have been recovered from Fred's body, there were reportedly three that could have been recovered, would then be compared underneath a microscope to the test-fired bullets from the recovered firearms to determine whether or not they could have been consistent in the rifling patterns imparted on the bullet. And then that would essentially give you the conclusion that it was either consistent with this firearm or not consistent with this firearm or perhaps inconclusive. Aside from the fact that I love it when you talk technical to me, but I would also like to state for the record, we are both forensic scientists. However, neither one of us is a firearms expert. Just for the record, this is based strictly on our education. So, knowing that we have the guns, we might have the bullets. Uh, Roy has completely thrown Dolly under the bus because she broke his heart. Uh, Dolly now gets arrested. But the police still cannot figure out how Dolly got locked in that closet. So they have to release her because you can't have somebody that's locked in a closet be the person that shot her husband. Well, this whole time that Dolly is under arrest, you're wondering, is Otto still in the attic? And the answer to that is yes. So what Dolly does is so outrageous. She has Herman Shapiro, her boyfriend lawyer, go to the attic to bring food to her quote-unquote vagabond half-brother. So Herman Shapiro goes to this attic, finds this man living there, but Otto hasn't spoken to another human being except for Dolly in about 10 years. So at this point, Otto just can't shut up, and he tells Herman 
everything because he's just so happy to have human interaction. Now, Herman is like, well, damn, you're my girlfriend's live-in lover, so you need to get out of this house now. Doesn't turn him into the police, just kicks him out of the house. Otto takes this chance to flee to Canada, terrified of Herman, and he changes his name to his pen name of Walter Klein, finds a woman, marries her. So we're continuing on. This is 1923. Dolly gets released from prison because they can't figure out a way to pin this on her because she had been locked in a closet. Otto is living in Canada with his new wife. Herman is with Dolly this whole time. And then in 1930, Otto comes back to L.A. with his new wife to try and figure out how to live a life back down here. And Herman's not cool with this. So Herman turns in Dolly and Otto. And so the police round them up and they're put on trial for Fred's murder. Uh, Otto was found guilty of manslaughter, but there's a statute of limitations in Los Angeles of eight years on manslaughter, or I'm sorry, of seven years, but it had been eight years since the incident happened. So Otto was released, even though he was convicted of manslaughter. Dolly was never convicted of anything in any part of this. And she lived in Los Angeles until she died of natural causes in 1961, Otto, on the other hand, who had changed his name to Walter Klein, uh, nobody knows what happened to him after the trial. He was released and then just fell off the map. The only rumor that we have is that he married a librarian and took her name. So oddly enough, um, because this is such a crazy thing that exists in the world, there have been multiple movies made out of this whole scenario that happened. And May did the research on the movies that we will be watching very soon. One of those movies was a adaptation, and it turned into a comedy, actually. It was made in 1968, um, and it was called The Bliss of Mrs. Blossom. It starred Shirley MacLaine and Richard Attenborough. And then the second movie was called The Lover in the Attic, A True Story, and it w- came out in 2018, and it actually follows the story of Fred and Dolly really closely. So what did we learn forensically regarding this case? So forensically, I'm going to go with step one. You have a crime scene, always check the attic. You never know what's going to be up there waiting for you. Uh, Number two, I would say always recover your bullets because you have no idea if you're going to be recovering that firearm. And number three, if you wait eight years to get caught, you're apparently going to get away with manslaughter. Vintage Homicide is produced by J.H. Cabral. Additional editing and theme music produced by Matt Beck. A special thanks to Bonnie Navarro Photography and Bombshell Betty's Calendar. Please visit bombshellbettyscalendars.com for more information. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Vintage Homicide Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you prefer to download your podcasts and join us next time for more tantalizing tales of murder and mystery. Murder and mystery.